Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey there, welcome to Wednesday. Hopefully you made it and you're not square. Merry Christmas, circle people. It's, well, it's it's not. I mean, it's only what day it is today. Can we, can we, it's all month, man. It's okay. December 13th. If my neighbors can put up Christmas lights back in August 15th, I can say Merry Christmas on December whatever it 13th. is. Same Dude, difference. I've got neighbors that have like, they did the fake spider's web and they wrapped the, one of their trees in their yard and they wrapped a bush. Better than their kids. Go and ahead. it's still up. And it, Yikes. it That's irks a, me. You should go take it down for them. Yeah, it's... I've, feel like they did it and thought this is a great idea and then they're like we don't want to take it down you should offer to take it down on their behalf yeah maybe i'll go and light then it invite on fire. them to church and no because then, then you might light off. the house on fire that's true that'd be a bad witness would not be unless good. you buy them a new house yeah i don't think i can do that then don't light it on fire okay i won't light it on fire but seriously like come on halloween had its day it shouldn't have even had its day you let's, should send this podcast on. to them it was copy the link for this this episode yeah <laughs> let's send it to them yeah Hey, your pastoral neighbor two houses down. Is it's, really annoyed by your It's decor. not the Arsays, by the way. He's <laughs> a next door neighbor. Yeah. The Arsays. They just have an inflatable Santa Claus that is uh, hanging Rudolph. He's hanging Rudolph? Yeah. Now, they say it's Yikes. to stabilize things, but Yikes. when it's deflated, it's just Rudolph's just dangling there. It's just oh, flapping in the wind looking like tough. he's been choked out by Santa Claus. Maybe he wasn't a good reindeer. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, Christmas movies. You guys watch any Christmas movies? We've seen Elf. Okay, and It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, both of those have become kind of traditional for us. Okay, how about you? Yeah, we we do quite a few Christmas movies. Elf is up there for us. Uh, Amanda and I both like Christmas with the Cranks. That's kind of a fun one where they. Oh yeah, that's on Amazon Prime right now. I think. Yeah, I was looking at that. Yeah, where they decide we're not going to do Christmas. The, the Santa Claus. I'm not surprised that one resonates with you. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Why? You're going to do that some year. Yeah. I guarantee. You're going to be like that. Your kids are going to be out of the house and you're going to be like, hey man, I'm going to go to the Bahamas for yeah. December. Yeah. You're going to have me covered the December preaching calendar. Right. I already see it happening. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Um, yeah. So that one at the Santa Claus oh, yeah. tri- trio, we like to watch We saw that. the first one. fun. Um, yeah. Home Alones are, we bring those back around with our kids and uh, yeah, we're, we're big Christmas movie people. We enjoy the Christmas movie season. There's so much nostalgia wrapped up into them, right? It just it just feels it gives all the good feels. Yeah, T- yeah Tim Allen in the Santa Claus classic. Yeah, Papa Gijo. Right, he's right. so good. And when he goes to the like career day, and the one kid's like, "So you're telling me all I got to do to be Santa Claus is just push <laughs> you off my roof? roof?" Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's good, man. I, I enjoyed yeah. that. Well, good. Well, hey, we hope that you're having a festive holiday season, Christmas season, enjoying the the time of year. It is. It's it's fun. It's Drink a, lots of eggnog. Yeah, it's such a foreign thing, right? And yet, it's a gift of God that He's given us this cultural opportunity to celebrate. Like I'm I'm watching my neighbors across the street who don't celebrate Christmas. He, dad is is agnostic. Mom is is devotedly Hindu. And the, their house is dark every night. And and you know, they'll come out and they'll engage with us like when we have the fire pit out front or anything like that. Yeah. But there's not that same feeling of, of joy and magic and everything else like that that attends the Christmas season. There and is a sense a, of loss sad. in that. Yeah. 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 So hopefully you're experiencing that. But hey, let's uh, jump into and cover a whole book today. We're going to do Joel. Yeah. Joel. Yeah. 
My son Luke How the other day. How sweet the sound. He looked at me. He said, "Dad, do you know the only Christmas song that doesn't have an L in it?" Oh, Noel. 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 I yeah. Yeah. By the way, do you know the only word that, when spelled right, is still incorrectly? No. What is it? Incorrectly. Oh. There you go. This is why they tune in. Here's what we need to do. We need to do one of those dad joke competitions and see who cracks first. We should do that. And then we each hold in our mouths something that the other guy doesn't like. So I, I would put in my mouth like some vegetable juice <laughs> and you would put, what would you put in yours? What don't, what don't I like? What don't you like? I, you, whatever. You put milk. You put milk in yours and I'll Happiness. I'll do, happiness. <laughs> God, what? <laughs> what what flavor drink is that, Pastor PJ? Yeah, is that in one of the clear bottles in your up your uh, cupboard? No, I would put Sonic Tater Tots in my mouth. Sonic and just... Tater Tots. I might catch them. No, oh, they're still crunchy. Oh, gross! <laughs> so gross. Let's get to Joel quickly before they tune us out. Joel. Hey, uh, what do we know about Joel? Christmas song. We yeah we don't we don't know a whole lot about him honestly and even as you look at the the introduction to the book the the there's not much there the word of the Lord that came to Joel it, he's not telling us what kings he was prophesying during he's not really telling us a whole lot of anything he's in humble. his his introduction uh, and and Joel was not an uncommon name so it's not like we can point to one that was like oh Mephibosheth and <laughs> be like that's the guy yeah, only one um, so as far as dating this book you'll find people that. Data anywhere from the 9th century to the 6th century. That's BC. what my ESV says right here. Yeah. The book, the dating is uncertain. 9th to 6th, 300 years. <laughs> yeah. Sometime within 300 years, he wrote. Which I guess is better than nothing. Yeah. Is, what's the, is that important? Does that matter? Well, in some regards, yes, it's helpful to know the exact date. But in other regards, when we're in that window, we're still dealing with a conservative, a conservative stance as far as the unfolding of the events in the book. Where we get into trouble is where we want to take things that were pre-exilic, clearly pre-exilic, meaning before the exile, in their content, in their in their their delivery, and we want to put those after the exile, as though some editor wrote this book uh, much later and wanted to make it seem earlier. So that's why we can be comfortable uh, with a date that does span such a long time frame, because the history of the Northern Kingdom, Israel, was pretty terrible, and that's who really is in view here from the word go. In fact, if you remember from the book of second Kings and, and the books of Chronicles, there were no good Kings in the Northern kingdom. None at all. It was, this one was evil. This one was evil. This one was evil. So whether that's, you know, ninth century in, in shortly after the divided kingdom that this has taken place, or this is all the way as early as the sixth century or as late as the sixth century, depending on how you look at it, it's somewhere within that time frame, And we can be comfortable with that. It doesn't really change a whole lot of our application. It does right. change some of our, specific interpretations about some of the prophetic events that he's talking about. But otherwise, right. we're going to take much of the same stuff from it. Right. Yeah. Well, the book opens up and there's a massive invasion of locusts. Locusts. I, when we first got out here, people were talking about the cicadas and calling them locusts. The, oh, yeah, yeah. Those are not the same thing. Yeah. Cicadas are, are weird looking bugs that hang out in trees and make a lot of noise. Very loud. Yeah. Very loud. And dude, that wasn't even like the bloom. There's a cicada bloom that happens once every seven years. Bloom. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them that sounds terrifying it's amazing it's awesome i love the sound i love the sound it's nostalgic these are locusts though these are destroying crops these are wreaking havoc uh, these are are, are an, an instrument of god's judgment as we'll find out here and that the call is they need to repent they need to hear and see this as what it is and that is that this is a, a what could be explained perhaps as a natural disaster and yet 
the prophet is making it clear that Israel understands this is from the hand of God. God has done this, and he's trying to get your attention. Uh, so wake up, repent, wear sackcloth, lament here, be ashamed, put on sackcloth, consecrate a fast, repent, verse 14, alas for the day of the Lord is near. There it is, the day of the Lord. PR, talk about the day of the Lord in the book of Joel. Day of the Lord functions in one of two ways typically. It's either going to be a day of relief and vindication for the people of God, salvation from the Gentiles typically, or even from himself, uh, which typically is a judgmental situation, or it's the day of the Lord where judgment is enacted against God's people. So here, the day of the Lord is functioning as as God's judgment. That's always going to be the case. Day of the Lord is always God's judgment. The question is whether or not it's pointed toward Israel or pointed toward Israel's enemies. So here, Joel is saying the day of the Lord is coming and it's pointed at you. The gun is not pointed at the bad guys, so to speak. The gun is pointed to you. You're the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. And so it's not, yeah, it's not something that would be welcome. Like, oh good, the day of the Lord is here. Uh, for them, this is a day full of wrath and fury. And, uh, and Joel employs this language with the people to urge again, what? Repentance. And he's trying to get them to understand the significance of this. In chapter two, the, the message continues there regarding the day of the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the land, verse one, tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It's a day of darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness. Uh, he goes on to compare the, the locusts to armies that are coming in judgment and says like a, a rolling storm. They're going to consume basically everything in its path in verse three. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. Verse 10, 11, the Lord utters his voice before his army for his camp is exceedingly great. So here's the thing. Is this about what's going on right in the immediate vicinity of the book of Joel? Yes. Is this also dealing with the future day of the Lord and the future judgment and God's judgment? Yes. It's it's the both and. It's the dual fulfillment that we have going on here. It's going to have an immediate fulfillment with Joel and what's going on there with the people, but it's also going to have an eschatological fulfillment as as well as God comes in the ultimate realization of the day of the Lord, which will be that final judgment. So when we're using the term day then, Pastor PJ, it's not referring to a specific day on the calendar. It's talking more about a season, it sounds like. Uh, yes and no. I mean, the great white throne, Revelation 20, is going to be a day on the calendar, right? Right. That is going to be a moment when that final judgment is is decreed. So if we're talking about the ultimate culmination of the day of the Lord, which I think is, is there, then it is a moment in time. But yeah, there can be a season of the day of the Lord as it approaches, as it, it's, it's really like when we were in California and we would have earthquakes and you could kind of hear that earthquake coming from a distance and then you would feel it as it hits and then you would hear it rumbling on as it, as it went by similar in concept that, that oh. the day of the Lord is, is the wrath of God. I think it, it, it is, it does culminate. It does come to a head. And I think that is a point in time, but it is, it's effects are felt surrounding that point in time. So there are day of the Lord precursors. And then there's a day of the Lord, an ultimate, the, the uh, final, the realized day of the Lord that we can expect at the end of the age. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. Yep. Second half of chapter two, we get to uh, what the ESV has titled the return of the Lord. And here in uh, in verse 12, I found it encouraging that we find the Lord identifying himself again like he did with Moses in Exodus chapter 34, where he says here, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You remember Moses said, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God puts him in the rock and covers him. His backside passes before him and he says, I am the Lord. And then this is what he says. I'm the Lord, merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so it's a reminder from Joel that he's the same God today for them 
that he was for the, the Israelites and for Moses. And it's a call to come back. Uh, he's going to gather everyone. Verse 15, blow the trumpet, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. He's, he's calling for repentance. And notice everybody's involved there. The congregation, the elders, the children, even the nursing infants, the bridegroom. Hey, you need to come out from, from your wedding. And, and the bride, you guys need to get out here and, and participate in this because it was that significant. It needed to be everybody returning to the Lord. Yeah, and God doesn't want their affectation. He doesn't want them to go through the the formality of repentance. You'll see here at the beginning where Pastor PJ starts reading here in verse twelve. He says, "Look, rend your hearts and not your garments. I don't I don't care about the externals. What I really want is your heart." And there's that repeated refrain. God constantly pursues us, not for us to do the the wheels or or the the the, the rigmarole of religion. He doesn't want that. He wants that only insofar as that's a reflection of our heart, our love for him. And that's something that we can never grow stale about. And it talks about our, our sermon, or not our sermon, our podcast yesterday, where Laodicea was, I mean, they were hot, they weren't cold, or even uh, in Sardis, they were, the, they were the hypocritical church. I mean, we, we don't want to be that. We have to guard against that. Scripture calls us to this over and over again. In the third part of chapter 2, then, beginning in verse 18, we see the really the undoing of the cursing of the Israelites. He's restoring the things that he had taken away there in verse 18 and 19. The grain, the wine, the oil is going to come back. If you look at verse 23, be glad, O children, rejoice in the Lord. He has given the early rain. He's poured down for you abundant rain. Deuteronomy 28, there, there, we've talked a lot about the cursings. There were also blessings that were given. And here it's it's the blessings are returning and then there's this promise, and this is yet future. This is millennial kingdom type stuff. When he says there in verse 26, my people shall never be put to shame. They shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel. I'm the Lord, their God. There's no one else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Then there's this end, verse verse 28, where he talks about uh, pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. This is quoted in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, uh, and as it's quoted in the book of Acts, is being fulfilled in the, the presence of those that were gathered there. You will find some, including if you look at your ESV study Bible, that will say that is the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. We would say that is the partial fulfillment of this passage. And there's reasons for that. One of the reasons being, notice the language here. I will pour out my spirit on, what's the next two words? All flesh, okay? What does he mean by all flesh in that context? Well, that didn't take place in Acts chapter 2. There were plenty of people around that did not receive the Spirit of God. The millennial kingdom, under the blessings of the new covenant, God is going to put his spirit within and put his His law within the hearts of all people. And so the, the, the pouring out of the Spirit of God on all flesh, I think that is a yet fully realized future fulfillment in the millennial kingdom. Was this partially fulfilled in Acts? Yes. Is it going to be ultimately fulfilled later on? Yes, both are are true here. That's right. Chapter three, then you get into the uh, the issue here of the, the the judgment that is coming. The valley of Jehoshaphat. It literally translates to the valley of the Lord's judgment or the valley of Yahweh's judgment. Uh, we don't know where it's going to be. There are many who believe that this is going to be the Kidron Valley, uh, both in, in, in not both, but all three amongst Christians and Jews and Muslims look at the Kidron Valley there in Jerusalem, which is one of the valleys that, because remember, Jerusalem is on a, a, a mountain, Mount Zion. So the mountains create valleys. So one of the valleys adjacent to the city on the east side of the city is the Valley of Kidron. Some people believe that that is going to be the Valley of Jehoshaphat. However, ultimately, we don't know. We don't know. 
But what chapter three of the book of Joel is laying out is, is really the final battle that's going to take place before the institution of the millennial kingdom. The nations, verse 12, are going to stir themselves up and come to that valley, and there God is going to sit to judge them. Uh, verse 13, he's going to pour out his wrath. His, the, the wine press is going to be full. The vats are going to be overflow. Their evil is going to be great. The Lord roars, verse 16. This is a scene of ultimate destruction and ultimate victory for God at the same time. Yeah, notice verse 17. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. This is, again, God showing that his desire is to be known, to know his people and for them to know him. So you'll notice that even in these prophetic writings in in the book of Joel, the intention is pretty clear. God calls his people to put off all the accoutrements of religion and instead to put on the relationship that he desires for them. And when they fail to do this, this is when they go wrong. This is when God has to discipline them. And it's not that different, although this is a different dispensation. It's not that different for you and for me in the new covenant. God desires real and true relationship with us. The minor prophets repeat this over and over again. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him for who he is, not out of mere formalism, but out of real relationship. One last note in Joel before we leave the book in verse uh, 30 and 31, he talks about the signs that are going to precede the coming of the day of the Lord. Uh, If you take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31, uh, that is also going to uh, impact that. Jesus is going to talk about a lot of the same things in Matthew chapter 29, or chapter 24 there, uh, verses 29 through 31. Those signs, uh, a lot of people today are going to write books about the the fifth blood moon and this, that, and the other thing that's going to happen. Listen, Christian, we need to be ready for the return of the Lord, but this day of the Lord, we're not going to be on the, the scene for. This is is not with the church present. The, the rapture of Christ is the next thing to take place. When he comes back for the church, we need to be ready for that imminently. That could take place at any season. These are signs for the coming day of the Lord. That's not something that we're going to be here for. So when you see the next bestseller hit the, the list, it's like, well, what does the fifth blood red moon mean for the future of the church? We're, we're misunderstanding what's going on there. And they're functioning from a different eschatology, right? They're yeah. just interpreting scripture very differently than we are. And it's not to say that they're they're ill-intended. It's just Fair. that we think that they're they're wrong. Right, right. Well, speaking of eschatology, let's flip over to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. All right. Revelation chapter 4 marks a transition in the book. We are leaving off the letters to the churches that uh, were, were present churches that, that were contemporaries of, of John as he was uh, witnessing all of this. And in, in chapter 4, John is caught up into heaven. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So John's vision is now transporting him into the heavenly realm where he is going to be given a privilege to be able to see a lot of what's going on here that, that you and I just don't have privy to. Uh, The first thing that he sees there is a throne and there's one seated on it. And the description of this one seated on it leads me to believe that much like we saw uh, in one of our most recent episodes uh, a few days ago, that this is not Jesus, but this is is God. And it's because there there really is very little physically about this one seated on this throne that's described. More of what's described is the the effect of him, the the beauty of him, the the effulgence of his glory, the, the, the emeralds and everything else there. It's a scene of great majesty and glory. And then surrounding this throne are 24 elders. The 24 elders, there's a question, who is that? Well, remember, uh, Israel is not yet there. Israel's still on the earth at this point. This is before uh, the, the, uh, the millennial kingdom. This is before the new heavens and the new earth. So these 24 elders have to be another group of people. This is also before the tribulation saints. So who are these 24 elders? My study of it led me to, to conclude that I think that the best perspective here is that these are representatives of the church. Who? I don't know. Could it be the, the 12 apostles? I'm one of them. 
and Pastor Rod. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's possible. It's the apostles and some others, but these are representatives of the church, and they're there to glorify God. Um, there's these four living creatures. Calls to mind the the four living creatures of Ezekiel. Uh, there there's some differences there, but it seems pretty similar the language there. Again, apocalyptic literature that you're going to expect that the the thing that is being said here to the Lord Isaiah chapter six verbatim right this is the the same thing that's being said in Isaiah six is being said here in Revelation chapter four which should encourage us as far as the continuity of Scripture goes. What a cool scene this is! You got the twenty four elders, the four living creatures make a reappearance from Ezekiel chapter one although they're described slightly differently here. This is such a cool image. It's so otherworldly. It feels fantastical. It just feels like man, where am I? What's happening? Could not imagine what it was like to be John and to see all these things. Right. What a spectacle this was. And granted, we have it here, so there's it's a lot left to our imagination, but still a very cool image to consider. One of the functions, I think, of chapter four in your life today is probably that, to stop you and remember in your mind, God is not like us. He is exalted. He is high. He is worthy uh, as Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power, for he created all things and by his will Everything existed and was created. He is the supreme of the universe. And in fact, the fact that he has a class of beings whose job it is, is to worship him mm. and to esteem him. I mean, I, that blows my mind. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with that other than to be awed and, and moved by that. That's really cool. Yep. Yeah, I wonder what chat GPT would kick back as a, an image for this. <laughs> I'm scared to, scared to ask, honestly. I don't know if yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. I'll let you do it. I don't know. Well, hey, we uh, appreciate you tuning in again today and uh, tune in tomorrow again, Thursday, for uh, tomorrow's episode of uh, Daily Bible Podcast, and we'll catch you guys then. We'll see you then. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.